To be the champ, you've got to beat the champ. To be the king, you've got to beat the king. Everybody still has LeBron atop the league. Well, when I say everybody, I guess the media, right? He, until you knock him off, he's the guy. But according to Las Vegas's odds, Luka Doncic is the heavy favorite for MVP. Well, I got a sleeper pick for you. So these are a few bold predictions because why not everybody likes to use that term, right? Sleeper bold predictions for this NBA season. I wanted to hurry up and get this out before any real games took place so I wasn't like hedging my bets or anything like that. But what can you really learn from one game? I learned something from the preseason. That's what I was waiting for to see some some stuff there. But uh, yeah, so without further ado, I've got a sleeper MVP pick for you and it's Devin Booker. Yeah, it's D-Book. Not Jason Tatum. Not Luka Doncic isn't a sleeper, right? But, uh, you know, some people think maybe Kawhi, Steph Curry, a lot of people think he's going to have a bounce-back MVP season. And yeah, I think these guys are all going to put their names in the hat and make their case as the season plays out. But Watching Devin Booker in, you know, these three, four preseason games, how much can you take from it? Well, there's something different. There's something different about bro, right? Like last season, he took the step into becoming a more complete player where it wasn't just scoring and kind of uh, empty calorie stats, right? You saw him kind of balance his focus and energy on actually making winning plays. He started to defend better. He started creating for others better, right? And it was just a much more balanced approach approach to the game and it was a step that frankly I was surprised he made I wasn't sure he was going to make that step especially on the defensive end early in his career what I didn't like was it didn't seem like he took too much pride there and he took that step and everybody knows like what the Suns did in the bubble despite not making the play-in game and all that and you know he was he was the uh, front and center there with that right even had a game winner now they bring in Chris Paul but I'm watching this dude in preseason and I'm watching him in the mid-range game and I'm watching how he's getting his buckets. And it looks like he's taken that step into becoming an elite scorer. We know he's a good shooter, right? And we know he's a bucket getter. But now, it, to me, it appears like it's not, it's not about uh, if he's going to get a bucket. It's how you want it, right? It, it's, it's how you want it. It's, it's reaching that Kobe, that Durant level of scoring where you're, he's going he's gonna to give you buckets regardless. Now he's dissecting you with angles, footwork. And, and using using this a little bit more, it's, he's not just relying on his talent. And now, whether he would have made this step or not without Chris Paul, it, it remains to be seen. But bringing in Chris Paul, I think, certainly helped this, you know, accelerate this process for Devin Booker, right? Where, you know, Chris Paul, what, what that's the value. A lot of people didn't like this move. They're like, you're bringing in, how much more does Chris Paul have in the tank, right? They're not going to really contend for a championship. So what? You get in the playoffs, and then Chris Paul, you know, is going to, you know, is going to be done here shortly. You're missing the point. The point was for Devin Booker to get with Chris Paul at this stage in his career and learn from one of the most cerebral players who's ever played the game, right? There's certain guys like you could, you know, you could bring, let's just hypothetically, you bring Durant in for Devin Booker. And, I, and Durant might not be the greatest example because Durant is a student of the game as well. But there's some of these other players where they're so talented, they, they, not, they, don't, they can't necessarily share that with other players, right? Where Chris Paul, so much of it is his mind and his understanding of the game 
And that's something that can be shared. And so I think Devin Booker has taken another step here, specifically on the offensive end, as far as he's just toying with guys now, right? He, he's literally, you can just see it, right? It's, and again, it was preseason, I know, but I think we're going to see it into the regular season where he's like working on his game in the game. That's how talented and special he's become offensively. Now, defensively, he's got to balance it out. He's got to keep it up. They, they, a lot of things have to come together in order for him to have an MVP campaign. Mainly, they've got to be top four in the West, and that might be a stretch. That They're going to have to remain healthy, right? Chris Paul's going to have to be healthy. DeAndre Ayton is going to have to <clears throat> take another step. And you also may say, well, Chris Paul is going to steal some of Booker's narrative because we know at this point a lot of the MVP award is narrative-based. And he's going to say, well, okay, let's say the Suns are five or four in the West. They brought in Chris Paul, and that's going to be kind of the narrative. And he's absolutely going to take some of Devin's numbers. It's not going to be a statistical MVP like we've seen with Westbrook and well, I won't say that about Giannis because they were the best team record-wise as well, right? But we've seen statistical MVPs where the numbers were so impressive that it didn't really matter how much they were winning or what else the narrative was. It was just like, look at these numbers. They're nuts, right? It's not going to be that, right? It's going to be kind of an eye test MVP where the Suns are surprising everybody and all of a sudden they're, a, they're in the top half of the West and Devin Booker is their best player. And it will, there will be moments. There will be matchups, defensive assignments that he takes on, and moments where he closes games with big shots that stand out and drive his narrative and his push towards an MVP this season. So I'm not saying bet on him, right? I, the, the money is not on him, but he's my sleeper pick for MVP or being, I'll say this, being Finishing in the top three, okay, right? You know, okay, I'm hedging in a little bit, right? But it's, you know, it's it's a reach. I get it, but I I think that look out for Book, man. I think I think he's taken another step. Shout out Raptor fans, the North, man. They they go hard. I think they're one of the stronger fan bases in the NBA, and I respect that. Now, in my last video talking about the first impressions of the rookies. If you noticed, I only, I, I was talking about like in the top 10, it was the lottery picks. There, there's a lot of good rookies in this draft, but the Raptor fans were very quick to point out, I didn't bring up their guy, Malachi Flynn. Raptor fans would also have you believe that Malachi Flynn is like the second coming of Allen Iverson. Let, let's relax. Let's relax a little bit, right? He's more like, kind of like a, a sober Delonte West, right? Like he's nice. He's nice. 22 year old out of San Diego state. He's a bucket getter. He's a bucket getter. He's a little slight. He's a little slight. And I think that's the question I have about him. He has the lead dog mentality. He's mature, again, at 22 years old, can operate in pick and rolls, shoots it well enough and deep enough that you can play him off ball. And you know Nick Nurse loves using those small lineups with multiple guards out there. So he's going to get opportunity. And I think y'all should be excited about him. Now, as far as like being a star, I, I don't know about that, but... I'm going to put him as one of my sleepers for rookie of the year with the caveat that something has to happen as far as their roster goes. And what I mean by that is, look, Kyle Lowry signed this one-year deal. Is it like $35 million? A lot of people speculated that the deal was, was made because it allows both, both sides and out. If, if Toronto isn't where they want to be or Lowry, you know, they can trade him to a contender on a one-year deal and it's easy to do. And so if for some reason, uh, you know, Ujiri and Toronto moves Kyle Lowry or he's not very healthy, 
all of a sudden you're going to see Flynn with a ton of opportunity. He's ready for the NBA at 22 years old. And then again, that mentality, that scoring mentality, he's going to put up a lot of numbers. And I think you're going to see him atop the list for rookie of the year, given that opportunity. I have one more sleeper pick for rookie of the year. And again, opportunity is the theme here, right? That's what it looks like. Because it's not always, you have to remember, rookie of the year, it, it doesn't necessarily represent who's going to be that best player coming out of that class. A lot of it has to do with opportunity. I already told you, I think LaMelo, probably LaMelo, Wiseman, and the kid in Chicago, Patrick Williams, are in the best position as far as opportunity goes, right? LaMelo at the top of that. But another sleeper pick I have outside of the top 10, Devin Vassell in San Antonio. If you go all the way back to my scouting report and my big boards and whatnot, I had him around seven or eight. I thought I thought he slid to San Antonio. What were they at, like 11 or something like that? Anyway, another kid that's ready to play right now. And the, the question is, again, with the opportunity, is San Antonio going to hand the keys over to the youngsters? What that means is, Way less DeMar DeRozan, way less LaMarcus Aldridge, and less Rudy Gay. Now, whether they trade those players or they just commit to, again, the youngsters by giving them more opportunities. You got, uh, you got Walker, you got Skywalker, DeJounte Murray. They, they have that plethora of guards. Devin Vassell is the young wing that they have. Jakob Pertl play him more too. Why not, right? But if he, look at his numbers here. I think he played like 27 minutes in the preseason. He shot 50% from three. He gave him like 12, 13 points, six rebounds, three steals a game. I know it's just three preseason games, but I love this kid coming out of Florida State because the motor, the length, the motor, and I believed in the shot and the early results say I was right in believing so. So I think he's another sleeper candidate for rookie of the year, given the opportunity. San Antonio, go young. What are y'all going to win with Aldridge and DeRozan? I don't know. I don't know. There's been, there's been a, as much, as amazing as Pop's run has been there. You know, it, there's been some funny stuff the last few years and some of the decision making, and it's going to be interesting to see the agendas and in, in the in the push and pull of of that roster as as the Popovich era comes to an end because they need to commit to the youngsters. They've got some exciting young athletes, so watch out for Devin Vassell. Those are my two sleeper rookie of the year picks. My other prediction has to do with the Warriors because it's my squad. I'm biased. I'm biased. I can't be objective with the Warriors. You already know that. You don't have to point it out. No, but I'm aware of my fandom, right? That's the important thing. Like, you know, all the, everybody that does this, any hoop head that talks, we can't, we can't help but be biased towards the teams we grew up rooting for, right? And, and, and there's no point in hiding it or saying that you're not. Just be aware of it. That's the key. But I wanted to do a, a, a little Warrior segment here and I've had several predictions. One of them is I'm a big believer in Jordan Poole. Now, I thought he was going to become the backup point guard, and I still think somehow there's a way to that, but it looks like it's been clouded with, you know, the signing of Wanamaker. They tried to go get Jeremy Lin. I, I don't know. I don't, I'll briefly speak on that. Like Jeremy Lin, I haven't seen him play in so long. I don't know what he has left. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not sure what he would have brought to the table that Wanamaker or even young Nico Mannion doesn't already bring. So I, I didn't really understand that. I thought that might have been more of like a, a favor, to be honest with you. But um, so one of the things that, that I'm bold about with the Warriors season is Jordan Poole's success. The proof is in the pudding. You put in the work 
and he's clearly done that. That's not a secret. Now, I, th- I think his best position is on ball. His ability to wiggle with the bounce, create, and, and that just seems to, to build a rhythm for him. Steve Kerr may think otherwise. He hasn't played as much on ball in these preseason games. Again, Wanamaker, Mannion, uh, you know, bringing in Baysmore, it's clouded things. I think that Jordan Poole is not going to take no for an answer. One way or another, he will be in this rotation because he's put in the work and he wants it. And he's, he's versatile enough to do so. But my bold prediction, if you will, for the season is the Warriors will have two players that make the all-defensive team. First, second, I, I, you know, I don't know. Is there a third defensive team? I don't know why I don't know that. I feel like there is. Either way, I think the Warriors are going to make two now. You, you automatically say, okay, well, it's going to be Draymond. Draymond, man, get, get it right. Get right. I don't want to blame him for, for being chipped up right now, but I'm salty about that, especially considering you know, who we face first, right? That was We were all excited to see those two guard each other. Um, so you go ahead and you assume Draymond is going to be one of them. And I think you would right, be right to assume that, right? I, I Look, I don't know how much Draymond has left as far as his career and, you know, his style of play being undersized. I do think he has one, let me show you season. One season of, oh, you, you must have forgot, right? I think he has that, that being this year. Beyond that, I, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to age, but I think he has one. And you look at the identity of what Kerr's preaching here. He's going to be the head of the snake defensively. So I think he is one of them, right? Now, there are two other candidates. You could say three. Wiseman, that'd be tough. What, maybe if he averaged like four blocks or something like that. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if he'll play that much. I'd be clear, he'll play. I don't know if he'll play enough to put up huge numbers. Um, but I guess defense isn't about numbers. I'm contradicting myself here. Anyway, let me get to my points. You'd think that the two other candidates are Wiggins or Kelly Oubre. Wolves fans, I know you just spit your coffee all over your keyboard when I said Wiggins defensive team. I, I, I know, I know. But look, man, the reality of it is, is he's going to defend better for the Warriors. It's, it, it's just what it is. It's like you, you run into your ex and you find out she's doing everything that you wanted her to do with somebody else. I get it. I get it. You're going to be salty. But... I don't think it's going to be Wiggins. I actually think it's going to be Kelly Oubre who ends up getting the acclaim. And much like a lot of these other awards, there is, if you go back and look at the history of these defensive teams, like Clay Thompson never made a defensive team. It's very strange how these, how the media votes for this award. And it's almost like a, a moment it's it's a moment and it's like an eye test thing, right? So you don't necessarily need to have big numbers. And here's why I f- favor Kelly Oubre, right? Because Steve Kerr has assigned him to be the on-ball hawk, meaning he's going to guard Dame. He's going to guard Harden. He's going to guard Kyrie Tuesday night. You can believe that. I'm sure he'll spend some time on Durant too. But he's going to guard the lead ball handlers and, and the point of attack for for the offense that we're facing, that the Warriors are facing, right? So immediately the spotlight's on him. That allows everybody to focus. It's it's obvious what he's doing. He's picking up full court crests. He's he's harassing a guy. He's creating turnovers, right? And so I think him buying into that, it, it's just going to be a spotlight. Now, there's no way they get to unless the Warriors reach their goal that Steve Kerr has set for them, and that's being a top 10 defense. So I think that the collective, the length, the mindset and the early buy-in. You saw Steph take a charge on uh, 
was it Michael Porter Jr. in the first preseason game? And I, I, you know, you cringe whenever Steph hits the ground, but it was it was setting the tone, showing that this is our identity on the defensive end, and I'm willing to step in and do it. The two-time MVP is so Andrew Wiggins, you better damn sure hustle back and be willing to do it. Right. And so if the team collectively buys in, which I believe they're going to, and they're going to be a top 10 defense, that's when the media and people tend to start handing out and rewarding the defensive efforts. I think Ubre's performances are going to be louder and they're going to be more upfront in the spotlight because, again, he's going to be guarding ball handlers where Wiggins, it's going to be more nuanced, but I expect him to contribute as well. So I think you're going to see a Draymond Green and Kelly Ubre make an all defensive team. So I got into a little back and forth with Kent Bazemore on Twitter after the game. Got to be an all black after something like that last night, right? Like, whew, whew. Okay, we'll cover everything. We'll cover the game. Let, let, let me explain a little bit here because I got a, you know, a lot of uh, attention on Twitter last night for me. Wanted to explain myself a little bit better. Um, so the game went how it went, right? Uh, I was disappointed, like all of us. I had a little fun. I thought I had a very funny, clever tweet in regards to EP, Eric Paschal. You know, my little saltiness of that or whatever. And I, I'm scrolling the timeline and I see that Kent Bazemore has hopped on Twitter after the game and was kind of feeling a type of way about Dub Nation overreacting to the loss, right? And he said he had time today and all that stuff. And so I simply was trying to point out to him, give him some context here about Look, Steph goes down last year. When was it? Last November. Since then, like, we really haven't been competitive. It's been tanking, right? They've, we've tanked. So there hasn't really been much competitiveness. You have an extended COVID offseason. So here we are over a year later, finally with a roster that we feel like we're going to compete. That's the key word. Not contender, not, you know, playoff team. I'm not talking about big picture. Just competitive, meaning the game is not over in the first quarter type stuff, right? And so I think we all had our popcorn ready and it's been a, an extended period of time since we've got like real warrior basketball, right? And to get wiped off the floor like that in the first 10 minutes of the game, people were salty, man. I, I, wasn't, too, I wasn't too shocked, but I was disappointed. Um, and so I was simply trying to explain, kind of give him a perspective of Dub Nation. Like, look, we ain't going nowhere, but let the fans vent. We've waited so long for this and it was over before it began, right? Personally, I thought uh I thought I thought the youngsters were starstruck. KD, Kyrie, they come out and they are masters at their craft, man. They're going at half speed, using angles, the degree of difficulty on the shots they make, you know, they were a little starstruck. Quiet gym, I don't think helped. There were various reasons, right? But uh, it was over in about 10 minutes. And Brooklyn looks scary, man. My hat's off to him. So let's go through, let's go through what happened. First and foremost, Eric Paschal starts for Draymond Green. I thought he was the biggest problem defensively. Clearly, he's out of shape, and it was an emergency start. They, you know, they kind of had to turn to him, and he was just stuck in sand. He his closeouts were awful, everything was slow. Um, those of you on my Patreon know, I've already talked about, like, I'm a little wary about what he's done this offseason, hence my tweet, right? But look, by no means am I writing Pascal off yet. It's just he's behind, right? A second round pick had, uh, you know, kind of a little breakout, some successes rookie year, and you'd think you'd want to uh, catapult off that and, and build off that. And, and it looks like he's had some setbacks. So he's getting eaten up. And uh, 
the whole team just didn't, they weren't connected. They're missing Draymond clearly, right? And then you flip it around and you look at Brooklyn, they've got four guys that can create their own shot at any time. Dinwiddie, Levert, and then obviously the two future Hall of Famers. And so they're going to make a lot of teams look silly defensively, but we weren't doing ourselves any favor by not being connected and really just not bringing the right type of energy that you'd expect on an opening night. Now, let's get to Andrew Wiggins. Again, context matters. And I think... I should have went back and saw maybe what Bayes exactly was talking about. He probably was taking offense to people killing Wiggins. I don't know. But, you know, Wiggins is a very polarizing player. The thing is, here's the thing. Again, the context matters. Now, we all know who Wiggins is, and we all know that he struggles with consistency. He's going to have some no-shows. We know that, right? But now you add in the context that it was opening night, the first game of the season, not just opening night for the Warriors, opening night for the entire league on the biggest stage, and you lay an egg. That's, I think, what had people salty, right? When you add that in, because you always have to. And so, you know, he's going to have to bounce back. It's, it's fine to have some duds. How do you respond? Christmas Day in Milwaukee is your perfect opportunity. Chris Middleton, Giannis, Drew Holiday. This is going to be a Milwaukee team that's out for blood. It's going to be a daunting task, particularly if Draymond's not ready to go. But uh, I believe in this team's pride. And so I think we'll have a, a much better outcome. What about Steph? It's interesting, too. You know, the, the, the Steph crowd gets so sensitive I think I said something on, on Twitter to the account. Uh, I, think I, I think I tweeted out, look, I think Brooklyn will take their foot off the gas here at some point, but is Steph going to wake up? And people immediately interpreted that as, this is, are you blaming Steph? This isn't Steph's fault. Like, it's not Steph's fault. I, no, I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying the two-time MVP, we don't have a chance. Unless maybe, maybe the term wake up is what was offensive, right? Because it was like, no, I'm not saying it's his all his fault. No, I'm just saying... If, unless he gets going, we don't stand a chance in coming back. And I thought Brooklyn would take their foot off the pedal. But what I think I miscalculated was the benefit of having such a youthful bench. Their depth, they have depth, but not only that, they've got young depth. Allen, Dinwiddie, um, you know, hair, just their depth. They're all younger guys. They're all hungry and still have things to prove. And so even when Durant and Kyrie are done showing out, they still have guys that are thirsty and hungry. And so... They didn't take their foot off the pedal, needless to say, right? But it's just funny how, you know, again, Twitter and you can't really read tones and people just, you, it, people show themselves kind of by how they interpret things. But the reality of it is Steph did shoot two of 10 from three. A lot of them were contested. There wasn't a lot of space on the floor, you know, and when you're, when you're the face of the franchise, yeah, you're going to shoulder some of the blame. Now, a lot of grumblings about Steve Kerr, a lot of grumblings about Steve Kerr, and we've got time to complain. Uh, you know, he he's figuring out this stuff, too. We got to give him time to adapt and adjust the rotations. And he said as much, not just that, but the system. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, too, I was I was frustrated. We're down. You could feel the game slipping away really quickly. Right. Yet they come out of a timeout and Steph's still running around off ball. So I have a separate video on Steve Kerr coming soon. I have, I have something that's very interesting. Have y'all noticed that Steph's been struggling in the paint? He's been struggling to finish around the rim and when he gets downhill. If you check my patron, um, my guy Kyle, we, we, we've had a discussion. I think we've, we've figured out why Steph is struggling 
finishing at the rim, and it may not be what you think. I know you're thinking there's not enough spacing. There's another reason. If you're interested, go check that out. I've got a 15-minute breakdown of this entire game, and I will have breakdowns of every Warrior game. So support your boy, but I know what y'all came for. I'm, I'm going to give you what you came for. <clears throat> the big ticket, King James, James the Great. We can't call him the big ticket. I understand, you know, hence Kevin Garnett, right? Is he the new big ticket? Is he the new ticket? We can't force the nickname. It will come naturally. It will come naturally, Dub Nation. But uh, I think that the first thing you know, that stood out to me with Wiseman was how aggressive and confident he was offensively. I expected him to maybe just be a little timid, a little uneasy offensively particularly, especially a big guy, right? And all this lack of experience and all that. No, man, he's, he's a natural ball player, right? He's a natural ball player. Defensively, I thought I thought he was fine, man. I liked what I see. Now, he got beat. He was playing a drop coverage and pick and roll. That's what you're watching for most, right? They weren't switching. He was in the drop, and he got beat. He was late by a beat, by you know, by a second. He was a little bit late on some of those drops and defending the lob and, and when to contest, but he was there and he was aware. And that will change with experience. It wasn't sometimes you see a young big in pick and roll action, right? And they're getting turned around and and they're just clueless. They're jumping everywhere. It was none of that. He was just a beat late, a beat late, either getting out or dropping back. And you're dealing, mind you, with Kyrie and Durant and a lot of those pick and roll actions. So I thought I thought he looked very promising on that. And obviously, we know about the end-to-end speed and running, right? But I think the thing that was most exciting of all is it's real. It's real, y'all. I'm not talking about your favorite IG model's booty. I'm talking about his jumper. His jumper is real. You say, well, how do you, I mean, he, he, he made a couple in, in garbage time. That doesn't, no, man. You know what you know, and I know what I know. Now, you see during the off season, usually with a lot of players, you see a lot of guys stroking jumpers and empty gyms, right? And just looking really good. Oh, he's, he's, he's stretching the floor now. He's got a jumper now, right? And then they get in a game, a live game, and all of a sudden, they just don't have that confidence, right? It, it's not real. It, it's one thing to stroke it in an open gym or even in preseason, but you get in a real live regular season game, do you really believe in your shot? And that's what I saw in Wiseman. I don't care if it was garbage time. What I saw was a 19-year-old seven-footer who believes in his shot, and he'll take it. He'll take it, and he'll make it, right? We know it's a slow release, but I like it because it's 7-1. Take your time. Ain't nobody getting to that, right? It drives me crazy. Like, I really like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. as a player. The bro shoots it from his chest, from his belly button. I'm like, how in the world did you develop that shot, bro? You're seven feet tall. And so Wiseman understands no one's going to get to that, and he can take his good old time, but he wanted to take it. And he started feeling himself late and taking it, albeit garbage time. But that's the thing. We know about the athleticism. He looked fine everywhere else, better than I think we expected given, given the circumstances, right? But if he is going to stroke that man and be not just a vertical spacer, but a pick and pop threat, because we can get into the lack of shooting, Ubre, Wiggins, the wings, like, you know, they're, the, he, Wiggins is going to have to bounce back. Ubre, let's not, the thing about Ubre is, and, and again, I'm not, I'm, it's one game, but what happens is you, a couple plays stick out to you, right? The big putback dunk. Um, I think he had two dunks in this one. He, he, he drew an offensive foul, right? He has very loud plays that stick out to you, but we can't confuse style 
over with substance, right? He wasn't very effective either. And so I know that one of the big problems right now is, is like, where are we going to get the shooting? right? It's going to come and go with those guys. They're two maybe shooters, great athletes, maybe shooters. Is it Michael Mulder? Is it Damian Lee? You know, but here's the thing. Again, back to back to James Wiseman and his ability to shoot the ball. If he's going to shoot the three again and be a pick and pop big as well as a vertical spacer, maybe the Warriors don't need as much spacing. And if he's going to his growth process as an offensive weapon is going to be quicker than anticipated and accelerated, then that's that's just super positive moving forward. So, yeah, man, it was a disappointing night. And again, back to my new Twitter followers and people that are just finding the channel. I'll cover other basketball stuff. I'm going to talk more than just Warriors. Believe that. Just give me time. Um, but, yeah, look, as a Warrior fan base, I know that there's a lot of newbies that, during the dynastic run. There's a lot of OGs like myself that have suffered through years and years of bad basketball. And I get it. Like when you see a warrior fan complaining, you know, right now, people are like so quick to get down our throats. You have nothing to complain about. Oh, poor you. Oh yeah. Nah, man, we just want a competitive game. It's not about, I, I, I'm not sitting here like we better be in the finals. We better, we better do Nah, man. We it, competitive. When I mean competitive, I mean, literally like the game, you have hope throughout the game. It's not just over right away. That's what I'm talking about. So don't misconstrue that. But overall, big picture, Look, man, there, it's going to be a growing process. I expect the Warriors to be sixth, seventh seed, hovering around the bottom end of the playoffs and fighting for those spots. But the reality of the situation is, regardless of how this team comes together this year, if James Wiseman is who he looks like he might be, none of this will matter. And that's the exciting part. Hit that like, share, and subscribe. I'm out, y'all.